it's time to let the fun begin. But the fun really begins, well, continues and begins in a different way next week because 11 weeks in, Ro in Romans 8 uh, begins next week. And if you don't have one of these guys, um, it is a great book. Miss Elizabeth uh, introduced it to us uh, a while ago, Derek Thomas, um, on how the gospel uh, brings us all the way home. Wow, is it good. And so, and it's very readable, just short little chapters. And we're going to go, Lord willing, kind of through this uh, chapter. So make sure you grab one of those guys um, on the way out if you don't you don't have one. And we'll look forward to that next week uh, with no condemnation um, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Shane, before we pray, uh, the, Shane's group over here, can we call them that? Or at uh, Jittery Joe's uh, study in Romans. Can you just tell us what a joy that's been since when did you guys start? We started, I've got the list right here. We started February 10th was our first um, section. Wow, and we're did, already in Romans 9. Right, and we're, we're already in Romans 9. And we uh, Zach Wood just did um, four verses uh, on predestination in Romans 9. So um, it was very edifying. Um but yeah, next week we're going to be looking to finish up Romans nine. Maybe we'll maybe we'll split it up in two more sections. But it's been it's been really encouraging. It'll be our our twentieth section. It's uh, it's I mean it's incredible. There's been twenty plus people have come, and we've had uh, at least ten or eleven different leaders leading throughout the weeks. But everyone's been edified by it. You know, we've we've been able to really dive into scripture and, and encourage one another. So, and the whole goal of it is is to be able to learn how to teach one another so that one, one day when we get wives and families that we'll be able to more effectively lead them. Yeah. Oh, what a great way to uh, to, to practice that. Josh, would you pray um, for that? Maybe, can you read the passage for us first and then uh, pray for that and, and uh, also for uh, Mark and Papa and Revelation um, across the way and for the sermon um, later on. A lot of good things to pray for. Sure. Um, so maybe starting in 14. All right. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege to study and learn and teach the book of Romans. I pray that our study today would edify and build us up and sanctify us further into the image of Christ today. Lord, thank you for the fruitful study at Jittery Joe's with Shane. Lord, I pray that there would be many more months of 
productive, productive and encouraging and edifying study. And thank you for those guys. And Lord, I pray that you'd be with Mark and Papa as they study Revelation and uh, be with our time of worship today in the main service. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Last week we uh, started by talking about uh, sort of a debate of whether this is really written um, from this perspective of an unbeliever or could this be, and this is where we leaned or kind of came out, that this Romans 7 is really talking about mature believers. And so Doriani said that uh, Romans 7 describes a disciple that loves the law, hates sin, and knows that Jesus is the deliverer. And we're going to get to that. I um, thought it was helpful when Boyce said that uh, this is a comfort to all struggling believers, which, you know, that would truly be all of us, I think. The reason for our struggle is to teach you to rely not on yourselves, but on God who raises the dead. To teach us to rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And then MacArthur said, every well-taught and honest Christian is aware that his life falls far short of God's perfect standard of righteousness and that he falls back into sin with disturbing frequency. And I thought, that is so true, at least I know um, in my own life. And so Carter uh, has a really neat illustration from his own life that I'd like to start with today. Carter, thank you for for your willingness to to talk about this. This is great. Yeah. Um, So on the weekends I work at... um, at a place near Bowman, Georgia, which is more toward Comer, but um, going down 172 toward Hartwell. And it's been a struggle definitely for the past couple of weeks um, to be more intentional with talking about real things that matter with coworkers. It's really hard um, just with the atmosphere of working there with all the people that I work with, they're mostly unbelievers. They think that mostly Christianity is cheesy and that sort of thing. So it's hard to bring up the gospel in a way that doesn't make them respond in in a manner that would be sort of like, oh, Christianity is cheesy. It sounds like a fairy tale and you're kind of out of your mind. You're a religious fanatic. Um, so it's definitely been difficult to talk about things that really matter. Most of the things that we talk about are superficial and um, it's mostly about things that really perish. They rust and they wither away pretty well. Um, but recently I've been meeting with Josh Chronic. Um, I t- told him how I, it was just going away from conversations at work that were so empty. You would talk to people and coming away just knowing that God's God's law is right this is this makes me feel so empty it's really it's not helping anyone Um, it's being untrue it's unkind to know that something is coming that is going to destroy lives and they're just they're deceived in a way that they can't understand and I'm not doing any anything to help them or anything to I grow bitter at them and sometimes jealous and that sort of thing. I was just confessing this to Josh Chronic 
and asking just to to pray that I would be more bold and to cast the net and to be a true fisher of men, to fish for men when I would be at work and to hunt them down and talk about things that have to do with eternity, things that last. So we prayed together and we've been talking about relying more on God's sovereignty and depending upon Him and not my own uh, strength to sort of talk to co-workers and the Lord has been immensely faithful in uh, providing, I guess, not just fierce boldness, but less worry about the fear of men and talking to co-workers about things that matter, no matter uh, what they may say to me or what they think about who I am. They, you know, sort of cast off as uh, someone who doesn't like to have fun, that sort of thing. He's helped me to see that being true, being kind, and being um, more like Christ is what truly ought to be sought after. The Lord has been tremendously gracious in allowing that to happen, and um, it's it's been a, a lot better. I love it, Joshua. I love you. Looking forward to what you have to say here um, concerning these things. But you know, we do what we don't want to do. What we don't. Want. Carter wanted to be a great ambassador of the gospel but man it's just that you i think you know the struggle it's just hard maybe it's the struggle you have at your own work but i just thought wow the power of prayer uh someone like chronic to come alongside um those things were were super valuable josh can you tell us kind of some implications here of uh, this passage I, um, I i think it's packed with them yeah, it's such an interesting passage. I think we're coming off the heels of six. Paul's talking about this freedom we have in Christ. And then we get to this interesting part. Paul's saying he does the very things he doesn't want to do. I think he's highlighting how our desires are constantly at war inside of us. The, the Spirit's warring with our indwelling sin, our fleshly old man nature, and those old man dispositions. They're constantly at war. So I just thought it would be fun to think through a few implications from this text that we can draw for uh, our Christian life. And like you said, Jerry, there's a, probably a ton we could come up with. But um, some of these I got from a pastor, a few others I was just thinking on a little bit. But um, I think, one, um, it's a reminder that conversion when we're regenerated doesn't lead to a life free of struggle whatsoever and just an easy go Christian lifestyle there is I think this text reminds us that there is going to be a great struggle throughout the Christian life and it's a fierce battle and um, I think it helps us to know and understand that and not be frustrated when our experience is a little bit different. Um, I, I think also it helps us not be weary in the battle of sin. Knowing that to be true, it helps us to continue to fight the fight and um, not grow weary in our battle against sin. I think Grant's going to elaborate. It, it really protects us from a, and helps safeguard us against a false view of sanctification. Uh, Grant, do you want to say anything else on that? <clears throat> yeah, sure. Um, yeah, with that, I think this passage is is describing sanctification as it takes place and what you're saying it, it can a right understanding of the sin that remains in our flesh and and the battle that we will continually wage against it until we die or until Christ returns um, can seem almost uh, overwhelming but I, I don't think that it is and, and Packer said it like this um, 
I guess this is Boyce maybe quoting quoting some of what Packer said. Uh, he said that when God called us to be Christian people, he called us to a lifetime of struggles against sin. Uh, this should be evident from everything Paul says in this passage, but we seem to take extraordinary measures to avoid this truth. One way of avoiding it is by a kind of unrealistic romanticism in which we kid ourselves into thinking that everything is well with us spiritually, or is at least well enough for us to get by with it for now. This is particularly easy if we are affluent and do not need to worry about having enough to eat or paying the mortgage, and if we can always battle occasional bouts of depression by going out for a dinner or by taking a vacation. No pain, no gain, we say, yet we labor rigorously to avoid spiritual uh, growth pains. I think this can be so true, this, this idea of just avoiding the battle with sin and not really recognizing that that's going to happen one way or the other, that sin is there um, and it needs to be killed day in and day out. Uh, some of the ways I guess you could say that this is protecting us is that a lot of times we can have this assumption um, that life should be easy, the Christian life is going to be easy now that we're a believer. I think that's what you mentioned, Josh. And Boyce said this, that there's three things that a lot of times we can um, be doing. Um, one is we think that we just want to find the right formula. If things aren't going well, then we think we don't have the right formula, like we need to find a book um, that gives us a three-step recipe for finding growth in the Christian life. And if that doesn't work, we need a different one. And if that one doesn't work, then we need a different one. We sort of treat it the Christian life like finding the right secret formula uh, will make everything easy, and the fight against sin will be successful and easy. Um, I think this can be kind of that can be really harmful because it, it undergirds the truth that a lot of times um, the fight will be intense and um, it can just spiral us into not growing because we're just jumping from one easy thing to the next. And he describes it like this where we can just have these easy phrases or evangelical phrases where we say like get out of Romans 7 into Romans 8, let go and let God get self off the throne of your life and put Christ there just let Jesus take control. And Boyce calls this um, lazy optimism. He's it's, it's pretty intense with this. He calls it lazy optimism. The expectation that life is supposed to be easy. Um, if we do find the Christian life hard, then we don't have the right formula. That's one way. And then the other way is um, we want to go from new experience to new experience. That may be in the charismatic movement, deeper and deeper charismatic experiences, or we fo how we focus like hyper- uh, a hyper amount on emotionalism in worship not that emotions are bad in worship but that's the primary focus we want just deeper and deeper experiences emotional experiences rather than uh, God's truth applied to our life with deep emotion so that we have a plan against sin uh, for the week after our experience on Sunday the third would be avoidance uh, this is the one probably that I could fall into the easiest is uh, we don't really want to deal with the situation that we're in. As described in Romans 7, um, we may suffer def a defeat from some certain sin. Um, and so we just want to avoid it, either through distraction or entertainment, something like that. It could be busyness, um, either bad busyness or good busyness in the church or out. Um, we simply just don't want to think about the struggle that we're having with sin. And instead of facing it head on and girding up our loins, and confessing sin and doing battle to it head on um, with what we know from Scripture through prayer or through friends, uh, close friends who can pray for us. Uh, we just want to avoid it, and we spiral out of control with 
more entertainment, more distraction, and avoiding the issue altogether. Yeah. Alan, you've had John Owen, and you've been studying him, but when Graham was talking about that, that reminded me of, for about a month, you've really been digging into some neat stuff here that Owen, wouldn't you say that fits with the avoidance, kind of? Can you explain what John Owen knew the sharp cookie? Yeah, on the, so the mortification of sin of believers, and I actually did it with David Linder at his house at Charlie Up Church. But uh, when I first told it to Jerry, I think it was a little weird when I, when, I, when, I, when I first mentioned the concept because it said that it talks about peace. Can People can give yourself false peace. And, you know, peace is a fruit of the Spirit. So that sounds kind of weird that, you know, that, that, a, that, that a fruit of the Spirit could be almost false. But what Owen says is that when one finds himself in sin or experiences uh, consequences from sin, what becomes the focus is the turmoil in our heart, the pain. And so what we do is is that our focus becomes not the sin, but removing the pain and the turmoil from our heart. And so he said a man uh, listens to his heart and pursues a course of action to eliminate that pain or turmoil and by worldly means. And so uh, Owens warns not to speak heart, peace to our hearts until God speaks. And he uses two verses out of Isaiah 57, verses 10 and 11. And, I was, and 10 says, You were wearied with the length of your way, but you did not say it is hopeless. You found new life for your strength, and so you were not faint. So it sounds like they weren't faint. They found strength. Uh, they weren't hopeless. It sounds good. But then verse 11 says, Whom did you dread and fear? So that you lied. You did not remember me. Did not lay it to heart. And that's kind of what you were just talking about. And he said, I have held my peace even for a long time and you did not fear it. So he's saying that we'll deceive our own we'll deceive our own soul when we listen to our heart rather than God. Because all we're trying to do is, you know, we don't want sleepless nights where we reflect on our sins. We don't want because most of the time in life when there's issues, whether individuals or situations, most of the time our sins contributed greatly to those situations and we don't want to admit that, but it has. And so, this, so the man needs to take time to examine his heart, his motives. We don't need to only focus on our sin, Owen says. We need to focus on the cause of that sin. What's the motive? What's the desire? What's leading to it? Not just the outward sin, but the inward problem. Uh, Lloyd-Jones, which I was talking about, said, we must talk to ourselves instead of allowing ourselves and our emotions to talk to us. He said, we must speak. We need to speak truth to ourselves, not false peace. He says, listen to this. Ultimately, the only thing which is going to drive a man to Christ and make him rely upon Christ alone is true conviction. So Owen says that conviction must precede peace. And so there's a word that I, and it's a word I hate, and I don't like to hear that word, but it's that word wait. And so a lot of times when we're dealing with our sin, what Owen was telling us to do in that mortification process is that we've got to wait and wait for the Lord. And you know, that's just something we don't want to do. Uh, he says we can be overwhelmed with God's greatness, but we need and also need to be overwhelmed with our depravity. The Holy Spirit will convict us of sin, but if we take the time to reflect on our heart and our actions. So, you know, there's, I think that in Jeremiah, you know, there's a, there's a good news verse and there's a bad news verse. The bad news verse is when it talks about our heart. We all know that verse, Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, and who can understand it? And then Owen points out, the Lord, in the next verse, says, I, the Lord, search the heart. So we can't hide our heart from God. It's, it's evil, it's full of things it shouldn't be. But then, in verse 24, as, as Jeremiah's prophesizing about it, they will repent. 
This is what 24-7 says. He said, I, the Lord said, I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, and for they shall return to me with whole heart. And so I, and so I thought, this is what Matthew Henry said on that text in Isaiah. He said, Men incline to a religion that inflames their unholy passions. They will follow any evil, however great or vile, if they think it will atone for crimes or purchase indulgence from, from favorite lust. This explains idolatry, whether pagan, Jewish, or anti-Christian. But those who set up anything instead of God for their hope and confidence never will come to a right end. Those who forsake only the right way wander in a thousand bypaths. And so Lord Mark believes that so many people are superficial Christians because we don't take time to examine ourselves and look at our heart. Mm. Yeah, it's good. I think this is great. Uh, <laughs> kind of could be convicting for us. You know, let's examine our hearts. Let's see. It's the Second Corinthians thirteen five tells us to do that, and then not try to just dismiss it, and not just go for a shrimp dinner or for a. Uh, a jog or just I take a nap sometimes if it's starting to get a little bit but instead confess it and deal with it and look for the true peace the true peace that surpasses all understanding from the Holy Spirit not a, uh, a peace that we try to uh, manufacture Josh do you have a, you had another one or two there yeah I think w one more implication you know when we think about assurance, I really think this section, chapter 5 through 8, is designed to bolster our assurance and our hope in the glorious realities that will be to come. And we talk about the already and the not yet, the already and uh, the not yet being the, the glorified body that will be in one day. We will not sin anymore. We will not have this struggle with sin anymore. It will be done away with. And we have that great hope to look forward to. But I think this text is... Uh, helps us gain confidence and assurance and you might think well that's kind of funny how why would you say that from this text because Paul's going back and forth but I think it helps to show that the experience of a mature Christian believer is one where Paul sees the great battle with sin and so I don't think when sin is in our life yes we should examine ourselves greatly and if there if we make a habit or a practice of sinning as first john says we should question whether we are truly of the faith but there when we have this raging battle and this war with sin uh, i don't think we should let that steal our assurance away because here paul doesn't lessen the battle whatsoever the chapter is him painting the picture of what it's like in his battle with sin and then he wages war he's fighting sin and so I think it, it helps to possibly bolster or further our confidence in Jesus Christ and in our assurance of our salvation. Well, and certainly the next, uh, thanks Josh on that, the next 11 weeks, Romans 8, there isn't anything like that for assurance. And uh, so really looking forward to that. If you go back to verse 14 here, 714, uh, MacArthur says, stole this from MacArthur and a lot of different guys, but the, this is the first of three different laments concerning indwelling sin. Okay, and that's what John Owen calls this, this sin that keeps going. Triner describes indwelling sin as an alien power that brings human beings into subjection. So it's an alien power, it's not us anymore. In each lament, there's a spiritual condition that he's lamenting of the proof of its reality and then the source of the problem. 
And uh, I love this. This is typical Paul, in typical Romans anyway, where he's building on each other. The first one lays some groundwork, and then he's going to build on. He's going to build on. I find it fascinating. I, I hope you're not losing. This is kind of on the side, but I hope you're not losing um, uh, how thrilling it is to study the Word of God, where God has given us such a logical, brilliant layout of one argument coming on to the other. Just the, the incredible way that Paul writes Romans. I hope that you're continuing to see that. Shane, I have to imagine you guys have seen it for, for your 20 weeks. You yeah. know, just It's just so, so amazing. So um, if you look at 14, 7, 14 again, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. Now, this certainly isn't, I found this, in, I wouldn't have thought of this, but uh, MacArthur, I think, pointed us back to Psalm 51. And uh, and if you want to turn there, I have it here, so you don't, you don't have to if you don't want, but uh, remember, this is um, David lamenting after he has committed adultery with Bathsheba, Nathan comes to him, says, David, you're the man, uh, just a the 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 uh, the sinfulness of his sin hits him and listen to what he says have mercy on me on me O God according to your steadfast love according to your abundant mercy blot out my transgressions wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin for I know my transgressions and listen to this and my sin is ever before me so he just realizes David does what I think this passage is telling us Cranfield said the more seriously listen to this the more seriously a Christian strives to live from grace and to submit to this discipline of the gospel the more sensitive he becomes and even his best acts and activities are disfigured by the egotism which is still powerful within him and he also said Cranfield also said that these verses depict vividly the inner conflict that character that's characteristic of the true believer that conflict is possible only in those only in those who the holy spirit's active because i believe they don't have that conflict they're not worried about sin they are hostile to god they don't submit to god's law they can submit to god's law they can't please god and they are not really too worried about it right they might be worried about the consequences of their sin but they're not worried about robbing god of glory if you're concerned about robbing God of glory, I think Josh is right. It's a great sign that, hey, I, I, I want to turn from that. I want to repent. And, uh, and then Carter's illustration was good. Pray, confess it, have someone else pray, and then watch the Lord do, uh, do that work. What's the proof of this indwelling sin? Look at verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do what for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And uh, I don't know, do you ever feel yourself feeling like that? I know I certainly do. How about when we complain, self-pity, any sort of bad attitude? How about just thinking too highly of ourselves? Would any of us really say that we really, truly, even because after we become believers, love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength? I don't think so. Like, I couldn't claim that. Boy, I want to, and I want to grow in that. And I think because we know God's faithful, we will grow in that. 
Well, what's the source of the problem? Look at verse 16. The source of the problem. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. It's one of the reasons that Grant shared with us last week really brilliantly about why we believe this is a believer because he agrees with the law. He loves the law. He sees that the law is not the problem, right? Doesn't sound like an unbeliever, but here's what uh, he's saying. So now in verse 17, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. He makes that differentiation. So the source of the problem. First, what? It, now this is important, and I wouldn't want to, I, I'm afraid if we miss this, this would be tragic. What is he not saying? He's not saying that we are not responsible for our sin. We are always responsible for our sin. He is not getting out of that. There is no believer that can say, no, this sin came upon me and I couldn't do anything about it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that God is faithful. He will provide a way of escape. No temptation has seized us what's common to man. God is faithful. So we are responsible. Paul is not at all getting out of this or that thought by um, by this. Guys, please jump in when you when you see something here. But And, and I think that needs to be emphasized. But um, he's also not saying that Christians have two personalities or two natures. We had the old nature, but the old nature was completely drowned out with that new nature, right? That old nature is gone. That old man is gone. And But there's this residual, however you would say that. Before we knew Christ, we were lost, but now we were completely lost, and now we are 100% gods. We're not gonna become more of a believer. But the battle, I think we mentioned Galatians 5.17 last week. Listen to this. Um, for the desires, this is Paul again, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For they, these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. On your way back to, uh, well, Romans 7, and maybe you didn't need to turn here, but 1 Corinthians uh, nine, um, nine twenty four, I think, um, says this. This is so good, and you may remember this, but it's the same sort of deal. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self control in all things. So why does what's he going to make the comparison here between an athlete and a believer? We have to have self-control. Why? Because of this right here. Because we do what we don't want to do and we don't what we the other way. And so there's this battle that goes on. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we an imperishable. Carter, that's what you were talking about. Let's start talking about the imperishable stuff instead of the perishable, right? That's what our conversations ought to be about. So listen to verse 26. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body. I keep it under control. Lest others preaching, um, after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. I remember in the King James it said, you buffet your body. 
but until I was about 23, I thought it said you buffet your body. <laughs> I was just thinking pizza in for most of my uh, growing up days. And so this is the idea. You buffet your body. You buck, You beat. Like it's there's a war that goes on against sin. Any any thoughts on that before we look at the second lament? Look at verse 18. Um, and so he goes, he's going to add to that. Now he's going to um, pile on with a similar sort of, not identical, but similar. So brilliant. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but I have no ability to carry it out. But not the ability to carry it out. Okay, so the me in verse 18 here. Um, in me is the same as the I in verse 17 there and the condition that he's dealing with is in verse 18 he knows that nothing good lives in him and then what's the proof that there's a problem here in the rest of that um, for I have the desire to do what's right but not the ability to carry it out for I do now that doesn't mean he doesn't have the ability to not sin, but to, to do that perfectly, to, to just be done with sin, that's what he's saying. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. So he is only admitting that we are incapable of completely fulfilling the requirements of God's holy law. It reminded me again, Paul in Philippians 3, verses 12 to 14, one of my favorite passages. He says, Not that I have already obtained this, or am I or am already perfect. Okay, none of us we're in trouble if and I would like to hear your guys' thoughts on this. What's the problem if we feel like we've kind of arrived? You know, like I think I've got this. I think I'm in pretty good shape. What is going to always follow that? Why do we need a guard against that? Carter, you got some something on that or any of? What you think, oh, Grant? I think with that, I don't know that I have anything profound or exactly what you're looking for, but with that, I think there's a temptation when we, we lower God's standard yeah. and we bring ourselves up to this new standard that we've set in our mind, and it's usually a separation from reading the Bible from understanding what is required of us, what God's law. I mean, there's a reason that like Ray Comfort, a very famous evangelist, he always uses God's law in his evangelism because it cuts to the quick. It's it's an incredibly high standard. It's impossible standard. And when like when Scott preached, I think he preached back in Exodus on the Ten Commandments, and then he brought it up again recently in a confession about lying. And I remember both of those were extremely convicting because he went in detail through the Ten Commandments and just how high that standard is. It re sort of reorganized my mind to, okay, you know, I haven't arrived for sure. Like, there's no way I'm perfectly keeping this. So uh, I think that can be a danger. We're, we're reducing the standard that we're required to live. We set, our, set a new standard and we can always check our new standard that we create yeah. ourselves. So you're saying if we feel like we've arrived, then that's our standard has we might have arrived at something but we haven't arrived at, at perfection right any other thoughts on that 
Well, look at that verse. What did he, and this is Paul talking, right? So this is a mature believer, but I press on to make up my own. Josh, I wish I knew how many times your dad has said press on. It's his favorite here. Um, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made up my own. But one thing I do, and I love this. This is a great verse I think we need to consider today. Forgetting what's behind and pressing on toward what's ahead. Right? And let's say you've had a great month. Don't let rest on your laurels. Don't just say, hey, I think I've got it. I think I've got this. I think I've conquered this old deal. That's not going to be the case. Nor should we say, oh, I'm so miserable. I might have just lost my salvation because of, you know, that, that wouldn't be it either. So strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So I, I challenge us this week. Psalm 32, Psalm 38, and Psalm 51. Psalm 32, Psalm 38, and Psalm 51. Those are psalms that after David has sinned, how he goes about confessing. How he goes about really lamenting that sin and turning toward Jesus. 32, 38, uh, and 51. I think those will be, this is David, a man after God's own heart, agonizing over the indwelling sin. If you go to verse 20, now again, there's the source. This is similar to 16 and 17. What is the source of the issue here? Now, if I do what I do uh, not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. And then um, that's, the, that's, he says, the source of the problem. So now, for the third time, this is his third lament. It starts in verse 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Okay, the third time that he admits this. And um, verse 22, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin. That's such strange language and strong language that you say, wait a second. That's what we looked at last week. Could he be talking about an unbeliever here? But we think there's one more place that's pretty convincing coming up that he is truly talking about himself as a mature believer. So captive to the law of sin that dwells um, in my members. I, I found this really good, really interesting. And it would be another feast if you have time this week to spend some time in Psalm 119. That's all about the Word of God. And in Psalm 119, MacArthur pointed this out, that this parallels Romans 7 in many ways. And I thought, I'm not, I wasn't making the connection when I first read that. But he said, like verse 771 says, it was good for me to be afflicted that I might learn your statutes. It was good for us to be afflicted. So in our battle with sin, what's the purpose that God hasn't sanctified that all out of us yet? So that we will race back to him. So that we will see our need for our Savior. And as we realize God's holiness, which I think is what I'm hearing you say, Grant, we don't want to lower the standards of the law. 
The law is good. Remember, he concluded that in chapter 7. The law is good. The law is not the problem. The sin's the problem. The indwelling sin is the issue. So, God's holiness, we need to see that and continue to grow in our understanding of that. Our own indwelling sin, we need to see that more and understand that. And doesn't the word do that for you? When you read it, isn't it a little spotlight right on sometimes some painful things? I think Al's right. We don't ignore that. Don't try to just brush it off and say, oh, I, don't, I don't see it, I'm not listening. No, go to him with that. I love that part you read there. He knows our hearts. He knows what's in there. He knows that there's that deceitful place yet. So go to him with these things and see Josh I think you're so good to point out that it's a normal struggle it's a the, the struggle that you have with sin um, is a normal and a regular thing in in our life and even though we can't wait till we're done with it um, and that day's coming it's the already in that positionally we're already slaves of righteousness but practically there's still the battle. And so, verse 25, if you want to write these down, just if you get, don't have time to read the whole psalm or, or don't get around to it, verse 25, 88, 107, 149, 154, they all talk about God reviving the psalmist as he goes through these battles with sin. God's reviving them. So, 23b there, the last part of 23, and then Carter, I want to hear from you on uh, 24 and 25. But I see in the members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And what he concludes here, the source of the problem again, is reminding us that the Christian cannot avoid living in the flesh. Um, he can, he cannot avoid living in the flesh, but he can avoid walking according to the flesh. And I know if you're like me, and say, well, what's kind of the difference there? It's not, it's lingering, that flesh is, but there is um, an answer, and that's where we get to it in 24 and 25. Carl, you want to read that and talk about that a little bit? 24. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I think Stott said that this wasn't merely a rhetorical question, but it was an earnest longing and a fierce yearning for deliverance from the flesh. So deliverance from our bodies. We're, our bodies are corrupted by sin. Um, it is uh, One translation had it being the vehicle of our sinful passions and desires. Uh, like in uh, chapter 6, we went over uh, just Wednesday that we present our members as members to unrighteousness beforehand. And Paul is yearning for deliverance that ultimately we get in the resurrection, Christ comes. But I think not only verse 25 is, is encouraging, but verse 24 is encouraging too because who is it that's saying who will deliver me? I'm, I'm a wretch. It's Paul himself. He's the notorious missionary. He's the theologian, the pastor. He 
he witnessed visions of heaven and he encountered Christ himself resurrected alive as he is today. And Paul's saying, I still struggle with sin. There's this burning war and conflict going on within my, um, my mind, within my members. Um, so I think that that should be a profound sense of encouragement to believers since we grow in, in the sense that believers we can feel the fire it burns within our hearts that as we grow in our deepening understanding of who God is and his holiness the sensitivity to sin grows even more and you have those two things um, just pulling at one another and it nearly tears you apart at times but Paul gives us the assurance in 25 thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord Christ will come. He said, I'm going to come back. But for now, at the latter part of verse 25, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So Christ will come. He will deliver us from the conflict, from the tension within our hearts. But for now, He's leaving us to the conflict. He's leaving us to rely solely, completely depend on Him not to be prideful or boastful and trying to pull up our bootstraps, put on our, our, put on our saddle seat, you know, and kind of make it ourselves up the mountain. It's not ours to do. He, we're to trust in Him alone to bring us. He will bring it to completion. He will bring us there. But the struggle against sin is going to be fierce. Anyone who stands up for righteousness, who stands up for Christ, who bears the banner of good is going to, all the powers of evil within the world, in ourselves and outside of ourselves, will come for our throats if we stand with Christ. So that's encouragement that Paul leaves us with to, um, as we enter into eight. Yeah, Grant and Josh. That was really well said. Thing from you, Grant. Mm-hmm. I think you look at this and you say, um, Doriani, he kind of broke it up in a in a different way, right at the end there. Uh, he said there's two egos from 21. Two laws means like the principle or the norm. There's two cries, the way we cry out to God. And then there's two sets of servant and servitude. And we're either going to be serving the law of flesh or law. And man, chapter 8, you're going to see this again, aren't you? Continuing. Is there's going to be this contrast. Living according to the flesh, living according to the spirit. And there it's talking about positionally. We're no longer living according to the flesh. And uh, that is just great, great news. One more thing on this body of death, and this is a something that uh, MacArthur doesn't know for sure, but he uh, speculates on this. It's kind of graphic. I hope you didn't eat lunch <laughs> right before you came. But uh, this is um, verse 24. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And you see this just joyful like easy relief like thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord the body of death he said MacArthur says that there he thinks Paul could have been talking about he didn't know this for sure but there was a group that you would use if you killed somebody they would do capital punishment by tying the dead body of the one who died to the one who killed the person to the murderer so that dead body would be tied to the murderer until the deadness of that body oozed into the 
murderer and killed him. Like a gruesome way to die. I mean, that would be quite a deterrent. You wouldn't want to kill anybody if that's what was, was going to happen. And I thought, what a great depiction of this body of death. You know, sin. The wages of sin is death. But thanks be to God. He's the one that's delivered us. And this is where we kind of conclude, finally, that this is about the mature believer because you would say he would have ended on that note if he was just turning the corner and saying, hey, as an unbeliever, I'm talking about all this till verse 23. Then verse 24, I turned the corner and now I'm in great shape. Nope, look at that last statement. That last statement, we'll close with this. He says, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. That's still that battle of who we're serving. And uh, Carter, I think you started us off well to say, are we serving man or are we serving God? If we're serving man, we're no longer uh, a servant of Christ. Carter, would you um, pray for us? Sure. Father, thank you so much that you've given us the opportunity to come together and to be with one another and to read your word, study it. God, I'm so thankful for the wisdom that you've given us and uh, Mr. Jerry and Josh and Grant. Thankful for their leadership. Lord, I'm thankful for the leaders in this church that you've given us to guide us well, to help us understand who you are and the battle that we face as we leave here. And God, I pray that you would help who ever would take the pulpit now that uh, it's Mr. Mark that he would deliver your words that your spirit would encourage us convict us push us on to fight the good fight and pray this in Christ Amen read chapter 8 take you 4 minutes and get one of these books and read chapter 1 uh, if you would like to love that if you would take one thank you